Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab. I'm your host, Mitch Robbins, and I am the founder and managing director of the search firm called the Anthony Mike Group. We help companies across the medical technology sector, primarily within medical device, digital health, and diagnostics to build best-in-class technical teams, primarily areas like regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, etc. And here on the MedTech Talent Lab, we talk with best-in-class leaders straight from the industry on all things talent-related. I'm excited uh, for today's guest. We're talking with Dr. Acacia Parks, who is the Chief of Behavioral Health Officer at a company called Found. Found is an organization dedicated to improving people's overall well-being by making evidence-based weight loss accessible and affordable for all. Dr. Parks, with her PhD in psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, has an extensive background in research and behavior change strategy, both as a professor and as a business leader regarding both mental and physical health conditions. Prior to joining Found, Acacia spent over 10 years with the digital health company called Happify Health as an instrumental leader overseeing the program of research, evaluating the effectiveness of Happify's digital therapeutics. And Acacia and I went back and forth as far as trying to get her on the show, but she is here live in the flesh. And uh, I am so grateful for you being here. How are you? I am so happy to be here. Likewise. Well, thank you again for taking the time to be here. I'm excited about the topic today. We're really going to be talking about this. It's an interesting topic of how do we how do we determine if we're going to look internally within our organization and identify somebody that is ready to step up and be promoted or be as part of a succession plan or you know, does the specific need at hand require somebody from the outside? And how do we go through this process of determining uh, which direction to go? And I know that you have firsthand experience with this, but let's jump right in, Acacia, and talk about, you know, when you're looking at your own team, what are the qualities that you're looking for to determine whether or not somebody is in line or ready to be promoted? That's a, that's obviously a, a pretty big question and one that I had to think about a lot, particularly in digital health in the early days when digital health was so new that um, you really could not look externally for certain things, right? You're, you're looking for somebody who has experience doing something that nobody has experience doing. And so there's a very real opportunity to look at the talent that you have and think like, who am I going to grow into this? Because I don't think I could find somebody to just plug in here if I tried. And there's also this factor of, you know, onboarding and getting used to what a company is doing and this balance of, you know, if I bring somebody in, will it take them so long to figure out what's going on that it would actually be more expedient to grow someone internally? I think people often think about hiring somebody from the outside who's already done something as being faster. But depending on what your company is doing and how unusual it is, and again, in digital health, we're all kind of doing something unusual because it's pretty cutting edge. It takes people a really long time to just kind of get the ropes. So I spent a lot of time looking internally for talent to promote and thinking about that as a goal from the beginning. And for me, I think it has more to do with drive 
um, than it does any particular skill. Uh, it depends on what you're hiring for. But, you know, in particular, one area where I've done a lot of hiring is in research. And in research roles, there are lots of folks from academia who want to move into an industry role. And you can kind of decide for yourself when you're hiring, am I looking for somebody who has experience already or somebody who I, I want to grow? And if you're thinking about who you want to grow, you have dozens and dozens of people with the right skills. But what you really want are people who are going to fit in in a startup environment when they came up in an environment that was very much not a startup environment. Right. So like in research, almost everybody has some sort of academic background that got them there. So can they make that leap? is going to be a really huge one. Um, and do they want to? Do they have that drive to learn to think differently about what they're doing? Some folks don't have it in them or don't want to rethink their sort of um, orientation. I'll give you a concrete example. In academia, you know, you have your research program. Like, here's the thing I'm interested in. I'm going to do work to, you know, forward that. And it's very much owned by you. But when you go to a company and you're doing research, you're supporting the mission of that company. It's not your research program. Although at Happify, Basically, it was my research program because we co-founded the company, you know, on this uh, the premise of things I was interested in. But for most people, they're coming to an outside company and trying to find a way to um, readjust their mindset so that they're working towards the company's mission and making decisions that way and that they're not beholden to science anymore. They're beholden to the mission. That's a huge transition. And, not, and I would say it's a 50-50 chance someone that I think can really make the switch can actually make the switch. So it's a big risk. Um, taking someone from the outside, someone inside has been internally tested, right? You know, they've made the adjustments. And like that is so much of the battle that teaching them specific skills or information is just almost icing in their their development. And uh, somebody like that who really gets it and really fits in the startup environment and who can learn quickly, I can promote them into anything. Wow. You know, you said a lot there because I think that's a really good point that I should have started with this whole idea of digital health and how how new it is and catch 22 of, you know, organizations want experience, uh, but there's only so many people who have, have experience and the people who want to work in digital health are being told they have to have experience to get experience. Yes. Uh, but you said a lot, though, because there's that piece. But then there's also, you know, there's a book out. It's been out for quite some time. It's called The E-Myth. I'm going to botch the author, Richard Gerber. Somebody, I forgot, I apologize that his last name is Gerber. But in the book, he talks about entrepreneurs and how there's these technicians who are really good tech, you know, in their skill set. And they think, okay, I'm going to start my own business. And what made them really good was the fact that they were really good at the hands-on work. What they're not necessarily used to is becoming a manager, becoming an entrepreneur. How do you delegate? Mm -hmm. How do you get work done through other people? And I think there's a really big difference, especially in your line of work in research, where you have really good clinically skilled or technically skilled folks who may not necessarily be great leaders, but are really good clinicians, right? And so I'm curious in, in your situation, when you looked at, hey, do we bring in somebody who's going to, you know, oversee these clinicians or are we going to promote somebody internally? What do you look for? How do you identify if somebody you really do think can step up and kind of get out of the weeds, so to speak, and rise to a higher level? I mean, it sound like a broken record, but like, actually, I um, I don't know if you've read Radical Candor. It's like really excellent uh, book on, no. on management style. But in Radical Candor, the author talks about how essentially some people are what she calls rock stars. Like they just really want to be so good at what they're doing. They want to be world class at that, but they have no aspiration to change the nature of what they're doing or move upward in the organization. Um, and then you have, you know, rising stars or shooting stars. These are folks who are really focused on the next goal and want to move up and up and up. And that is a tremendous mistake to attempt to take a rock star and promote them into management because it's a fundamental misalignment with what they're looking to do. You want them to grow, 
but they want to grow within their own role. And so it comes back. Yeah. My broken record thing is like what the person wants and what their drive is. And I know we talked about, you know, mistakes, mistakes that I've made in the past with this. And and one of the biggest ones is trying to take someone who's a rock star and treat them like they're a rising star or the other way around. So this is something that I tackle at the moment that I'm hiring somebody. It's like, I need to understand which you are. It can change, right? Like sometimes people, you know, have kids and their priorities shift and they're like, I'm just going to be really good at this one thing when they might have wanted to go upward. But like in this phase in their life, it's changed. But in general, people are like personality type, right? They're either like looking to ascend or they're looking to just do really kick-ass work and trying to... You want to see it's not enough, right, to just be a rising star personality. Like that's not enough to guarantee that you'll actually be good as a manager. But without that, you're sunk because you're fighting against the fundamental nature of what a person wants. You know, I love that. The rock star versus rising star. I've never heard it that way. You said it's called rocks. What's the book called? Radical Candor. Radical Candor. Rock star versus rising star. I love that. You know, as a headhunter by trade, something comes to mind that you were just saying. If you call, if you talk to a candidate and you say, describe your dream job, people have a really hard time more often than not taking such a broad, big question and articulating what they want. If you ask more pointed questions and you start to identify what are the pain points in their situation right now against what are they trying to achieve? Now you start to help them flush out really kind of where the gap is, right? And help them move forward. I'm interested in that. Some, how do you flush out somebody's potentially going down the rising star track? or the rockstar track? Are there specific, you know, types of questions that you use during that conversation? So, you know, this is one piece where, you know, the the really big mistake is not to ask at all. But often, if I just describe those two types of trajectories, people can very easily classify themselves as one or the other. So, you know, I've certainly made the mistake in my early management days of just being like, I have this one person and I need the team to grow. So I need them to be a manager. And so I'm going to put people under them and like not having the conversation at all in that case turned out to be a huge mistake because they were a rock star and they were great at what they did. But that, you know, I made the mistake of assuming everybody wants to manage because I do. Uh, which rookie, rookie manager yeah, error, really but point. very common, right? So, you know, if you actually just sort of set up that framework, most people can be like, oh, management, that sounds like a lot of stress. Like, I'm not really, I'm not into that. You know, I really like the work I'm doing. I want to be doing it directly. People can usually articulate that if you put it in those terms. So it's been a very useful framework for me. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's a light bulb for me. That's amazing. I think so many people can value from that. I'm sure you've been in a, in a situation where maybe when we talk about the idea of whether or not to promote versus to hire from the outside, I'm sure that sometimes it's not necessarily a matter of, you know, we've got somebody with the aptitude, let's just go that route. Maybe there's situations that you've experienced where the, the outside perspective is actually needed because you need somebody without maybe the organizational blinders on. Would you agree or disagree? Yes, deeply. So um, and this has been really interesting working in um, in the weight loss space, because I think when you are in an area where the science is ambiguous and doesn't yield very clear instructions about what's right, you get people with almost like semi-religious beliefs about, you know, nutrition or the best way to be moving around or all of the all of the hot areas of weight loss. The research is just really messy. And so there have been places where I found it really valuable to consider outside perspectives. Um, Actually, I'll do a call out of um, one of the roles that I have is something called a scientific liaison. This is somebody that basically answers questions for people all over the company by going to the research and saying, 
saying like, here's what's there. Here's what's not there. Like, here's what I, I think we can comfortably say about it. And she's a biologist. She's got like no skin in the game of weight care. And everybody else I considered was a PhD in behavior change, in some behavior change discipline that focused on weight loss. And I consciously made the decision that I not only wanted somebody external, but I wanted somebody who just had no opinion about weight loss at all, who had the chops to interpret the literature could just go in and be like, nope. There's just no answer there. Like, there, I know lots of people think this or this, but like yeah. literature just provides no guidance or here's what we do and don't know. Um, so there are places where you just really, really need that. Yeah, that's awesome. And I wholeheartedly agree. I was just curious for your opinion. So sounds like we're definitely aligned there. There's influence out influencers out there. And this is a huge theme right now on social media about hiring for attitude, not necessarily experience, right? If you get the right attitude, you can learn the skills. And I think it's gone too far, in my opinion, because I do believe that there are certain times where you just need the experience. You do need experience. Hiring managers are dying on the vine a lot of times. They're overworked. They've got their own lives that they're trying to get back to, and they can't enjoy their own lives because they're overworked and doing the jobs of many. And so it's kind of a rah-rah thing, in my opinion, sometimes say, hey, look for the right attitude. You can teach the rest. What is your thoughts about where the, that happy, that fine line is about yep. experience versus attitude? I think it depends on where you are as a company and uh, what kind of unicorn you're looking for. So if you're looking for somebody that it's going to take you six months to find this one person who may or may not even want to come work for you because they have the experience you want. That's a situation where you might just consider home growing somebody because it's going to take so long uh, and you may not even find the person. And meanwhile, you've got nobody in seat at all. And for me, like I would rather have somebody who can 75 percent do it and in three to six months can 100 percent do it in seat than to kind of deal with this world where you're needle in a haystack searching for somebody with just very specific expertise. So that's one piece. And then the other is just like, can you afford to do it time wise? So I hired a uh, somebody at, at Happify when we were just starting to grow and she's straight out of academia, had a lot of promise, had all the right ideas, but like no business knowledge or experience at all. And now she's running research strategy at Happify. You know, she grew into that role and now she's a unicorn, right? She's that needle in a haystack that people are looking for who actually knows how to do science and industry. And I grew her from the beginning because there was just nobody in the world that had that experience at that time. And the company was growing slowly, so I could afford to do it. So those are kind of the two things for me. It's like now I'm looking and there are some some roles that I just need, like immediately, I just need somebody who knows what they are doing and has done this somewhere else. And I can't home grow. I, I have tons of applicants who are like, home grow me. I have so much potential. And I'm like, I know, but I don't have time. So depending on how quickly you're growing and what what function you're building and how badly you needed it to have it yesterday, you also may not have the luxury, particularly if there are people who do have the skills. There's no sense in leaving a role posted for nine months for somebody that doesn't exist. But if you have a choice and you're in a hurry. Yeah, that person that uh, that you referred to that you basically helped home grow, did you identify her as a rising star initially? I did, immediately. Okay, that was interesting. It, it was clear to me that she she was interested in doing the transformation work that needed to happen. And I knew that I needed somebody who could manage. And so we level set on that from the beginning, where even though she didn't have much experience doing it, I kind of told her some things about what it's like. Like, it is stressful. You're dealing with people. It's not just about work. It's about process. And people either have like a revulsion reaction to that or they're intrigued. And even if they've never done it, yeah. you can kind of tell them about it hypothetically and be honest, right? 
Managing people is stressful. It's not for everybody. You have to be talking to people constantly. If you're an introvert, you may not like that. But yeah, I I did. I, I level set with her from the beginning and she wanted it. So if we're aligned and working in lockstep, growing somebody is can be really, really satisfying in addition to being really good for the organization. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's interesting. And and I'm glad that obviously it's a success story. Let's I want to ask you about the flip side. You mentioned some of your early rookie mistakes as far as thinking that, look, we just need to we need somebody. So I'm going to do it this way and not necessarily taking into account what their psyche was. Right. Talk about a time you promoted from within that didn't go well where it went awry and kind of what were some of the issues you ran into? Yeah. So a couple lessons, a couple things that I think I took away from some of these, and I won't call out any particular instance, but one is, as I mentioned before, sort of assuming that everybody wants what you want and or assuming that people are like chess pieces and you can just sort of stick them where you need them, which is true in some ways, but in other ways, like you'll get a lot more mileage if you're matching somebody to what they want. And uh, what you see when you have a mismatch is just all this friction. Like you expect one thing and progress doesn't come quickly. Then there's just kind of a misalignment that can happen where you're actually spending a lot more time helping them do things they're not motivated to do. And so it it ends up feeling like, you know, if you ever take in your dog for a walk and they just like lie down because they're too tired and you have to like push them (laughs) or pick them up, it's like they're not running alongside you because they're not committed to where they are. So that can be really tough. The other piece, and this is a really tough one, it's like kind of a heartbreaking one, is that people don't always accurately have the ability to represent what experience and skills they have. So another thing I learned is that like I've I have worked, I've interviewed candidates who are like, I'm a really great manager. And like now I'm like, hmm, interesting, right? To to really di- like dig into what management experience is. And like, I'll give you a metaphor that really helps me understand this. Um, when I learned to teach critical writing, I mean, in graduate school, I was like a critical writing teacher. The um, instructor, Val Ross, who led the whole program, said two pages of bad writing is enough to help a person learn how to write better. You don't need 10 pages of bad writing. Like it's just more bad writing. And then they're just exercising writing badly. So, you know, sometimes folks will say, oh, well, I have a few years of management experience. And I used to think that meant that they knew how to manage. But like, I have been tossed in management situations where I had no idea what I was doing, right? Like people don't always train people or mentor people on how to manage. And so if you've spent several years managing, that means very little. In fact, it may mean that you just spent years exercising poor management skills with no feedback loop um, and that when they come in, they're going to bring that to your organization. So management experience is this dicey thing where people don't necessarily get good feedback. And so they can't tell you whether they're a good manager or not. They can tell you how much management experience they have. And that doesn't mean anything about their management ability. So I've certainly also oh, it's so gotten true. wiser about taking people's word for it when they're like, oh, yeah, the big one is I used to get is like people from academia being like, yes, I've managed research assistants. I'm like, oh, that's not the same thing at all. Right. But like those folks feel that they have management experience. So when people say that, you want to be really dive into and understand what their experience was like and what their approach was and a time, you know, when they messed up, what did that look like? And you want to see evidence that they've made all these mistakes that were verbalizing, assuming that people want what you want, treating people like they're your friend. Like these are all these sort of rookie errors. You want to hear them be like, and then I did that and learned the hard way I shouldn't do it. Like you want to see evidence that they've cycled through some of these rookie errors already or else they're going to come in and you're going to be dealing with it from scratch. And if I'm going to do that, I might as well home grow somebody. Yeah. And I had an old boss put it this way. You can have 10 years of experience 
Do you have 10 years of doing the exact same thing that you did in year one? Or do you actually uh, have uh, 10 years of, right? There's a big difference. So I, I love what you said about that and really, you know, digging into understanding, do they have specific examples of what it means to manage or to lead? And what are the learning lessons they've achieved from that so that they don't repeat the same mistakes? And do they have that awareness? Because it might not be their fault. Like you just said, they might not have the direction or have previously had the direction, the mentorship to coach them up. Yeah, but really I know good. I'm going to be giving them that type of coaching. I want to know that they can receive it and that they, they're at least yes. open to getting that if they haven't gotten it before. Yep, for sure. Listen, this is really great stuff. I want to wrap up by asking this. You've been in the epitome of the situation, which is, you need the help. Somebody's not readily available from the outside. You're not finding the right talent. And somebody doesn't necessarily have the skill set you need immediately internally. What advice or roadmap do you have for other leaders who I guarantee are listening to this experiencing something very similar? So my uh, leaning is always to home grow, but to do that in a way that is just so clear about what success looks like and also really set strong expectations for whether this is a real shot at a promotion or if it's a temporary stand-in because we're all hands on deck, right? So there are cases where, you know, as a team, everybody needs to all hands on deck on something. And for a temporary time, somebody is sort of moved over to working in an area they don't normally work. And that's different from being moved to that team or promoted into that team or made in charge of that team. Those are all different things. So it's important to be really clear that if I say, for example, like I have a director role coming up, I'm going to advertise for it in six months. You're welcome to compete for that role, but you're going to be up against outside applicants. You're going to have to beat them if you want the role. And here are the things I'm looking for. And this role is right here. And that is what you're looking at. That's very different from I don't have any bandwidth to hire anybody, but I kind of need somebody helping out here. But I also need them in their old job. And so, you know, you want to be super clear that it's like, I need you to spend 20% of your time here for now. I will eventually hire somebody there. At that time, if you think you want to transfer over there, we can talk about whether or not that makes sense. Here's what I'd want to see from you to justify that. And then I would backfill your old role, right? Like those are two very different conversations. And you want to be clear the level of uncertainty. Like, I don't know if I'm going to hire somebody here eventually, but if I do, we could do this versus like this role's coming up in six months and not saying it's yours, right? Like, I, I like the idea of mm -hmm. people having to prove themselves for something. So like, I'm going to give you this thing that's like this role. Here's what success looks like. You have three months. Let's see what you've got. And like, if that doesn't work out, you're still in your original role. Everything's fine. Like, or lastly, the last scenario is I need you to manage or I need to replace you with someone who can. So in that kind of situation, right, you want to say, look, like I need a manager in this role. Is that of interest to you? If it is, here's what success on that looks like. I'm going to give you this test case to show me what you can do. This role is yours in that case. Like if you do that well, I will let you, you know, kind of keep this role with this responsibility. Otherwise, I need somebody who can manage like and just be really upfront about that, too. Like, why are you shuffling them and what does it mean for them? And no secrets. Well, the overarching thing I'm hearing you say on all those scenarios is, is transparency and clarity. Yes. Like, what is the exact situation? And transparently, what are the outcomes that potentially happen as a result of what the change is? And it's great. And then that way. Nobody's resentful on the back end. Nobody's surprised on the back end. You know, you hear about these situations where somebody steps up, does a great job. Let's say they, they're they uh, a manager and they fill in as an interim director. And then ultimately the hiring manager hires a director from the outside. That person is really 
uh, yeah. beaten down because they're like, wait a minute, I just cleaned up all this mess. I was doing the job and now you bring in somebody and took away my opportunity. Well, had that been transparent and clear up front of what the expectations are, what the objectives are, and what do you need to do for me to be able to consider you, that would have been a whole different story, right? Yep. And like, give them a shot, you know, like, because there's also this perception of like, I wasn't even considered. Um, so it's really important that if a person is filling in a role who you ultimately plan to fill with somebody else, that you open them up to that possibility immediately and you let them know they're going to be competing against that person on these criteria. And then in the end, you could just be like, look, this other person checked this box that you don't have. Like, we really appreciate the help that you gave. But in the end, this was the right person. But it's transparent. And it's not personal. Mm hmm. Let, let me ask one more tag on thing and then we'll wrap up here. And that is the idea of leveraging contract help when you really, truly do need help and somebody's not ready necessarily internally or their their bandwidth is, you know, already extended and you're having a hard time recruiting somebody full time. One of the biggest pushbacks that I hear often is we don't want contract help because they're not going to be as accountable and they're just going to come in and then they're going to leave and they're going to leave us with it. What's your perspective on, you know, leveraging contract help and, you know, your opinion of it? Yeah. So contract help is a great way to experiment with ways your organization might grow that you're not 100 percent sure about. And you don't want to invest in full time people who you then might have to let go if you decide it's not the right direction. So you know, one way that my CEO, I really appreciate, leans on the idea of contract help is if you suspect you need to grow in a certain part of the company, hire a contractor or two and see how it goes. And if it turns out that that areas growing and growing and doing really good work, invest in it. Absolutely. But then you have some proof points that it's a good place to invest. And if you decide you don't want to invest in it, you haven't hired somebody full time and you have to you know, make the hard choice to let them go or to scramble to find some other place to put them. Like you don't want to be affecting people's livelihoods like that. So and like maybe the contractor is a person you would end up hiring. So it's also sort of a, a rent to own situation that can be really, really helpful. So that's one place I think you sort of de-risk growth by starting off with contractors. There are downsides, of course, contractors, you have to spend a lot of time explaining to them what's going on. That's true of a new hire, too. But like you may have to do it multiple times for multiple contractors. Turnaround is slower. But if you're not even sure this is an area you want your company to grow, all of that is worth it to just sort of see how, you know, the sort of imaginary function that you're building up a little bit plays out. It's a it's a great test case. I use it myself. What about where you're having a hard time recruiting somebody and everybody else is so busy internally? Would you rather figure out how to distribute the work internally or are you open to the idea of, hey, a contractor can help us at least get through this hump? I mean, we're literally doing that today in one area of the company okay. where there's a role we're trying to fill. And we have somebody who is, you know, at the leadership level, we have somebody who's a part of that function for now because the function needs somebody driving it but it's fully understood by everybody that that's temporary and that when we get this role filled that that person will transition out so it's not ideal but if you need something being driven it makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. cool well listen lots of great nuggets today i really really appreciate uh, the time you took to come on to the podcast I wishing you guys at found the best along your journey. They're lucky to have you. We've known each other for some time and I know all the accolades that you were able to accomplish at Happify. I'm sure the exact same thing is going to be happening at found. So thank you, Acacia. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I, it's, this is a fun thing to nerd out about with you. So I appreciate the chance. Cool. Yay. That was great. Yay. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show 
on your favorite podcast platform.